Well, good morning. Everyone really came to church today. Um, it is uh, a real privilege to get to share with you this morning. Um, I say a terrifying privilege because um, I will be sharing some of my personal life, and that can be uh, that can be hard. That's vulnerability. That can be um, kind of scary. Um, but it's still a privilege because I get to be part of what God is doing here, and I. I cannot think of anything better. Um, so I've titled this message The Ultimate Mental Health Formula, and I hope you understand that's meant to be tongue-in-cheek because I don't have one. Um, and that's kind of the point. It's, it's really nuanced, it's complicated, and so I know a lot is represented here in terms of um, what you've gone through and what um, maybe loved ones go through. And so um, this is my story and my experience, and uh, I will be sharing a little bit about what God has done um, through that and um, just pray that it will, it will touch you in some way. So I do prefer to speak um, like exclusively from the scriptures because that's safer for me. Um, but that's not what God has asked me to do this morning. And so um, yeah, I just appreciate uh, your being gracious with me about that. Um, Charles Spurgeon is a 19th century English uh, preacher, and he once said to preach like there's a broken heart in every pew. And I had read that months ago, um, but it always stuck with me. And so as I kind of look out at your faces, I, you know, some of you I have prayed with, I've cried with some of you, and, you know, with the sheer numbers represented here and online, um, unfortunately, those numbers are true. There is brokenness here. Um, broken hearts, broken lives, broken stories, broken marriages, broken homes. Um, we just we live in a broken world, and that's part of uh, part of the experience. And so, what do we do with it? Um, I'm going to start by reading part of John chapter nine. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, so that's not what's in front of you, but you can still follow. Like the words are almost the same. Um, it's English, so you're welcome. My Greek is rusty, so bear with me. So John 9 is a story about Jesus uh, healing a man born blind. And uh, I'm going to read uh, just part of the story. There's a few points that really intersect with my own experience that I'll touch on again. But I think, um, if nothing else, you will have heard some of the words of the scriptures, so that's worth our time. As he passed by, Jesus saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So he's like, Guys, yeah, it's really me. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. 
So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. This is something that John does that I love. He's always got stuff in parentheses, little extra like information for us. Um, sometimes it's about himself and how much Jesus loves him, and sometimes it's about um, how he's faster than Peter. Um, but always like some extras, so I like that. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So this is really um, kind of an attack on, on their social status. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And this is my favorite part. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I'm just going to take a second to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your sacrifice means that we have access to the Father. We thank you that your Holy Spirit can indwell us and teach us and guide us and lead us and counsel us. And as we just address the topic of mental health, we so need that. So uh, just open our hearts now to receive what you have for us, and we thank you that you truly are with us as we go through. Amen. All right, switching gears a little bit. This is me and my son, Charlie. Um, he was a few days old in this picture, and I'm like pretty sure that's like a gas smile, because um, that's how that goes at that age. But you know, as parents, you take it. Like whatever smile you get at that age is, is great. Um, I had what was considered a like unicorn pregnancy. So there was no nausea or like morning sickness or back pain or like extreme fatigue. It was just like smooth sailing the whole time. And I can see like the daggers of women that are like, you don't want to keep telling us about that. But I promise like you'll feel sorry for me soon. Um, it was great. I was a high school teacher at the time and I taught right up until the last day before Christmas break. And then Charlie was born on New Year's Eve. And that's significant because it also happens to be like the darkest and coldest days of the year. And once all the Christmas lights are put away, you really are just left in the dark. And uh, for, you know, as wonderful as those early, like my pregnancy uh, went, uh, I was extremely blindsided by postpartum depression. It was um, just not what I expected at all. But basically until Charlie was about four months old, I, um, like didn't even want to hold him. I would care for him and his physical needs when he needed something, but otherwise I, I, I couldn't. And it was, I can see a lot of you glancing over at him. We had this talk beforehand. <laughs> yeah. This is not brand new information. So we're good. 
<laughs> we're good. Yeah, I'm not that bad. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was very confusing, very dark, very um, isolating and lonely. A lot has changed for like the postpartum world and there's a lot more out there about like, how are you doing? Not just how cute is your baby? Um, and so that was, that was really, um, like I said, just blindsiding. I did not expect to feel that way. After that, every kind of time frame after that, January and February, I had um, like seasonal affective disorder. So like seasonal blues, seasonal depression, you know, in the winter when you kind of like don't want to go out or see anybody or do anything. Um, that became standard for me every winter and I never had had it before. Um, but it was in January of 2022 when, um, you know, the, the same kind of seasonal stuff came up and it was not a surprise and it wasn't a big deal and I knew it was coming and February was the same thing and usually by March things kind of start turning around and I get like a pep in my step and, you know, ready to see the world again and leave my house. Um, but this time, so March, April of 2022, rather than the depression part lifting, I started to get anxiety attacks. Um, and I was getting them about every two or three days a week. Just heart palpitations, um, kind of like how I feel right now. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but yeah, just like kind of shaky all the time and very uh, like extreme brain fog. Like I could not process anything in my mind. Um, and the depression was getting worse. So I, I would wait for my husband to come home and I would just go to bed like in the evening at an unreasonable hour. Um, and just I struggled a lot with a lot of that. We would, you know, go to see friends or something and I would just go to the bathroom and cry for no reason, <laughs> just chopping vegetables and have an anxiety attack. Um, it was very confusing and that went on for several months. Um, I think it's worth noting what my faith was looking like at that time, because a lot of people asked me, like, was I, you know, going through some kind of crisis of faith, or was it like a deconstruction, which is such a buzzword today, and none of that really resonated for me. I still had strong convictions about the scriptures, about um, the nature of God, like, all of that was, like, fully intact. It was me. It had nothing to do with God. Um, but I... I was not praying, um, not that I didn't want to, but every time I tried to, I would just cry. And it wasn't like a hysterical, dramatic cry, it was just like, I'm choking, <laughs> and I can't get words out, and I don't hear you, and it was just dark. And I, I many of you know how much I love the scriptures, and so I usually do uh, like some kind of reading plan through the year, and that year I was only listening to the scriptures, which is nothing wrong with that, but I just, to sit down with my Bible and have like notes out and highlighter and stuff, like I didn't have the capacity for any of that. So I would just put it on my phone while I got ready in the morning, and that was sort of my, my time with God. And it wasn't doing much for me, but I really couldn't do much more than that at the time. Um, I was still, for part of the year, still um, leading Bible studies here, still uh, writing a blog and podcast that I was doing, and then partway through the year, I just stopped all of that. Uh, I just couldn't really do anything more than that, and it just left me uh, sort of frustrated and wondering why I was experiencing what I was experiencing. And uh, this is kind of the first part that I wanted to touch on in the passage. In John 2... 
It says, uh, so sorry, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And I think that we all kind of answer those questions when we are faced with things that are hard. Like, why is this happening? Where is this coming from? What's the trigger? What's the, um, you know, what's the reason I'm going through this? And what did I do to deserve this? Like, I felt like I was doing all the right things. So why is this happening in my life? And Jesus answered the disciples, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And this, frankly, is of no comfort to me. Um, you know, I, th I think a lot of us do want God to be glorified in our lives. Um, we just don't want it to be through suffering. We don't want to go through hard things to be the kind of people that, um, that we want to be or that we believe God wants us to be. Um, we want to get there without the suffering. And I... It's hard to kind of accept that, you know, like I, I want to be a patient person, but like, God, don't put people in my life that force me to exercise patience. <laughs> uh, I want to be compassionate and see somebody hurting and really empathize with them. But like, I don't want to experience something that forces me to really relate to their experience in a way that says like, I, I really know what you're going through. We don't want that, right? We want to just be the kind of people that God wants us to be without going through the suffering which is why I don't like that. <laughs> so we're just going to skip down to John six, uh, 9, 6, and 7. We won't go through every verse. Um, so this is the healing part. So Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. There are so many ways that Jesus heals. He really works in mysterious ways, and I have weird there because it's weird. I'm sorry. Um, there are just lots of records in the Gospels of Jesus healing, whether um, like it's a healing touch or a healing prayer. Sometimes he just speaks healing, and the person miles down the road receives healing. Sometimes he would invite them to actively participate in their healing by going to wash. Um, sometimes he you know, would, would like the woman who touched his garment, right? Someone just touched the edge of his garment and was healed. Um, even in his last hours, you know, he's slapping a guy's ear back on after Peter cuts it off. Um, so there's so many ways. And this one, I, I know this is going to sound irreverent, but like this one's so weird to me. I read it and I'm like, this sounds like my children when they were toddlers, like <laughs> spitting on dirt and then like putting it on face, like, honey, like, can we not with the dirt and the mud and the saliva on your face? Like, it just seems like a little bit a lot. But that is why we trust God with things that don't make sense. Okay? Um, this is what, I'm, this is going to be like a confession. This is what I believed about um, healing prayer. So some of you have seen me up here as part of the prayer team, and um, I absolutely believe in healing prayer. I don't think you can be part of it if you don't. Um, so I absolutely believe that. I just didn't believe that God would heal me. I believed that I would have to work for it. So there were like, those were like the three things that I was kind of bringing to my experience. I still believe in healing prayer. I know of people who have been physically, mentally, emotionally, like marriages, the whole thing, healing. I believe in that. Um, he just wasn't going to heal me. I would have to work for it. That, 
that was my kind of MO. And it wasn't like a resentment or bitterness. I didn't, um, you know, I wasn't angry at God. It was just what I believed. It was just matter-of-factly, like, that's, that's how it's going to go for me. And so I did start seeing a therapist, because sometimes God heals through therapy. And uh, that was about around this time last year, like in the fall of last year. And we started talking about some medication, because sometimes God heals through medication. Um, and so we, yeah, we discussed all of that. I was kind of in conversations about what kind or dosages or all of that. Um, and then I did officially receive the diagnosis of anxiety and depression. And there was some relief in being able to put a name to what I was feeling. After being in denial and really unkind to myself about how frustrated I was, about feeling how I felt without being able to you know, say this trauma caused it or this trigger situation, um, there was some relief in saying like, okay, what I'm experiencing really is real. I, I don't have to be in denial about it. But I was really scared as well because I thought, well, what if it gets really bad? Like, what if I get a lot worse? What if I get to a place where I don't even want to be here in a very, like, permanent and dark way, if you're picking up what I'm putting down? Um, and that, that scared me. Like, that, that's an unknown future of, you know, very possible reality that, that really scared me. And so... I, uh, it was the first week of January, and I was on the prayer team. I came up. Someone came up for prayer. I prayed for them. It was probably super impactful. I don't remember any of it. Um, but afterwards, my prayer partner standing beside me, um, you know, asked me how I'm doing. They knew a little bit about what I, you know, had been going through, and so they were just checking in, and I said, well, honestly, like, I have this diagnosis now, and I'm just scared of what that's going to look like. And so I was prayed for. And I felt nothing, like it was just very nice and great and moved on. And the next day, um, the next day, I sent my kids to school. It was the first day of the like new school year. And I was just on my phone. I think a lot of that time I was spending looking at reels of uh, recipes just because I really want my family to be happy around the dinner table. Um, that's how I was spending like a lot of my time. And so I was probably doing that, but I had enough clarity of mind to just ask myself, uh, what am I doing that's actually helping me get better? And I, I did mention that I had kind of like brain fog for that whole year. Couldn't pray, couldn't read my, the Bible, like wasn't hearing from God couldn't put together two coherent thoughts. But I had enough clarity of mind in that moment to decide to make some changes. And so the first thing that I did was take things away. So before you can add things to your life, you got to subtract. I'm not great at math, but I think that's how it works. <laughs> um, so I did things like I put my phone charger in my kitchen. So I no longer look at my phone first thing in the morning or right before bed. Um, I put limits on my social media apps and like took them away from my homepage. So I got to like dig through folders to find them. And I also put my phone like on permanent do not disturb, which means that if you're not my husband or my kid's school or our family doctor, like you're going straight to voicemail, which I know sounds really harsh, but like 
do I want to be immediately available to everybody all the time? It was causing like more anxiety for me than I needed. So um, unless you fit in those categories, I, you're going to wait to hear back from me. And then I thought, okay, I've took, taken away things that are not really helping me. What do I need to do now? And the first thing I did was um, set up a gratitude journal. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I want to touch on the God's will part because no matter what age you are or stage of life, we all want to know what God's will is. It's not just for the person about to graduate high school or about to go on their first date or start a job or whatever. Like Forever we want to know what God's will is. And he tells us right there to give thanks in all circumstances. Not when we finally have the circumstances that we want and have something to be thankful for, but giving thanks in all the circumstances. And so I... I wasn't writing my blog at the time. I wasn't writing anything at the time. But I did have this journal, and I knew every day, at the end of the day, I was going to write one thing that I'm thankful for. And it could be a word. It could be a sentence. It was not more than a sentence, because I couldn't think more than that. But it gave me a lens for which to look through my whole day. So even if the day is like a dumpster fire of a day, I knew that I had to just find one thing to be thankful for. And when you really look at your life through that lens, it, it really does change you. It's formative. Um, everything you're doing in your life is formative, is forming you in some way, is discipling you in some way. So if you're choosing to look at life through gratitude, that is going to form you. That was the first thing. There's four. The second thing is um, the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. And it really is as dry and liturgical as it sounds. Um, but hear me out. I, because I couldn't pray, and I really, really wanted to, um, I downloaded this app. And you can get the book if you want it, but the app sits on my homepage where my Instagram icon used to be. And so for a while, I, you know, out of habit, would just click that spot. And rather than seeing, uh, you know, my newsfeed, it was the Book of Common Prayer. And they have morning prayers and evening prayers and midday prayers and uh, prayers of supplication and, you know, all kinds of prayers that as, you know, are dry. They are. Um, the morning and evening prayers are the longest, so they would take me about 15 to 20 minutes to read through. They have Old Testament scriptures, New Testament scriptures, Psalms in the middle, other prayers in between. And I sat there and I would just scroll reading these prayers and just scroll, reading the prayers. And I did that for about four months, every day. And again, it was another ha sorry habit-forming um, sort of discipline that I added to my life. And then I was actually able to talk to God. So it was doing for me what I couldn't do. It was setting up a guardrail for me that I wanted to connect with God, but I just didn't have it in me to do it. And so it was sort of praying for me. I also started seeing a spiritual uh, director who's taught me a lot about meditative prayer and imaginative prayer and, um, and even just like reading scripture and um, sort of like imagining yourself in the story. Um, I normally read the Bible for 
like the academic side, I really enjoy that. And so kind of stepping back and being part of the story has been kind of interesting. And the next thing that I did, this is another great app if anyone's interested, but this is sort of where it comes from, comes from for me. Mark 135 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left his house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And I have those things in bold because um, I just think we need to pay attention to that. You know, while it was still dark, that's when we're most tender to the Lord. And I don't want to get legalistic about the time you spend with God. I don't think that matters. You obviously just find the time that works best for you. But, you know, in the morning when it was still dark, to start, to start his day, he would leave, go somewhere else in solitude and prayed. And he's God. <laughs> He knew he needed that. The verse right after that says that at that point, his disciples came to find him and he told them, okay, we're going to go and minister in another town. And I just wonder, would he have decided to do that if he had just kind of rolled out of bed with them? I don't know. But time spent with the father actually helps us guide our steps. Um, yeah, I just have to mention, like, n none of this is meant to be like a like a brag or anything. I, I just know that I need these kinds of things in my life to help keep me from like dipping into depression or spiking with anxiety. Um, they're the guardrails that I need to help me abide in Christ. It doesn't just happen by sheer will. Um, and so the other thing that I uh, have been doing is reading through the Gospels. And I've been asking, Luke 24, 45 says, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. I've been asking God to do that. And when you open your Bible to, to you know, read the word, ask him to open your mind to understand. He wants to help us understand. Um, the Let's Read the Gospels is basically reading all four Gospels every month. So there's 90 uh, chapters in the Gospels. That's three chapters a day. That's good math. And... I was a history teacher, not a math teacher, so every time I do something good in math, it feels like I need to talk about it. Um, yeah, so three chapters a day, and I'm about to start my 12th time, like in December, doing that. And if you want to talk about what forms us, like getting that much of Jesus in a year is really something. So there's two things that I think are worth mentioning of what I've kind of taken away. Um, the the first thing that's really stood out to me is that Jesus gravitated to the broken, marginalized people, and they gravitated to him. So whatever else they had tried to um, do to sustain them through life just wasn't working. And so is it working for you? Are you broken enough to recognize your deep need for him? All those people came to that point where they were desperate enough to go to the source. The other thing I've noticed is Jesus' way of life. He was God, yet he still prioritized rest. He still prioritized time in the scriptures, in solitude, in prayer, in community. And he modeled for us a rhythm for life that for some reason we think we can get by these rhythms um, and that we would be fine without them. So I've been trying to make sense of what happened. Uh, what came first, the healing prayer or the lifestyle change? The last um, verse that we'll look at from the John passage 
is verse 25. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So see, I don't know everything about Jesus. I don't know what the formula is. I don't have all the answers. I just know that I was broken, and now I'm whole, and I was lost, and now I'm find, found I'm alive. I was, I was dead, and now I'm alive. And I was blind, and now I see. There's actually 27 uh, verses in that uh, John chapter containing debates of who Jesus was and what really happened. Um, and so I, I kind of do that as well. I kind of wonder, like, well, what, what happened? And so I, I have to say, like, the, the rhythms of life that I adopted didn't save me or heal me. There's no power in those structures. But the habits are sustaining me and keeping me connected to the vine. They help me to abide in Christ. See, in this world, we will have trouble. He told us we would. We should expect it. I should not have been surprised by the anxiety or the depression. Sometimes these things are just part of life, but as I try to make sense of the healing, all I can make sense of is this. Titus 3, 4, and 5. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So I actually haven't had an anxiety attack or a depressive episode since I was prayed for. Um, it's not like I, you know, decided to change my life and slowly those things went away. Um, he was merciful enough to free me from that even before I got my act together. Because I didn't even believe for my own healing. I didn't even believe it. I didn't even believe that he could do that. But he chose to do it anyway. Because he's kind and he's loving and he's merciful. And it's because of his character that we can have hope for change, not because of what we bring to it. But he still asks, asks us to be part of our healing. So those are the things that we can actively consider. Um, Eugene Peterson says, uh, you know, there's a long obedience in the same direction. So we, you know, have to ask ourselves, who do we want to be in five years? And how are my habits serving me and getting me to do that? Some of us absolutely need to see a licensed therapist or take medication or change jobs or get some fresh air or stop eating gluten. Like, you know what you need in your life. I'm not suggesting adding more things. Um, the, the hymn that we'll sing at Christmas is, you know, let every heart prepare him room. How are you making room for the healing that you crave? You have to ask yourself that question and then take those steps to do that. So before we change our daily rhythms, um, consider what needs to be removed that's just not actually serving you. So turn down the volume, take a walk without AirPods, leave the radio off when you're driving. There are so many like podcasts and books out on how to practice the way of Jesus, how to live um, with you know, the rhythms of his life. But make space to hear what that might look like for you. Um, I will ask the worship team to come up at this time. Um, and prayer team, you, you can wait a little bit. So uh, here at Meadowbrook Church, we are helping people take their next steps with Jesus, upward, inward, and outward. Um, I do have some practical things about each one. So James 4.8, 
draw near to God and he will draw near to you. John 15, 5, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So ask yourself, do I live like this is true? Do I abide in Christ? What are some practical steps I can take to grow in my upward relationship to God? For inward, I love this verse, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, we can't muster hope where there isn't any. So acknowledge that the next step has to be some kind of step towards God, the God of hope. So imagine being filled with joy and peace, peace beyond circumstances that may not be changing anytime soon, hope and joy in trials that that can't be ignored. But it's as you trust in him, that's the part that we bring to it to do that inner work. And then we move from not just a glimmer of hope, but overflowing hope, which is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what are the steps that I can take towards inner healing? How do I practice the way of Jesus by adopting new rhythms for life? Do I need therapy? Do I need accountability? I I would suggest take that verse, have a friend text you once a day and ask you, did you sit with that verse for five minutes? Just read it over. Wait to hear from God. This is getting a little preachy, but like you should try that. It's really good. <laughs> Outward. In his name, the nations will hope. Matthew 12, 21. And Acts 4, 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Um, prayer team, you can come up. The end goal is to know God and to make him known. We share about the things that have changed us because we want others to experience those same benefits. So in the end, um, I guess that's really the formula. Jesus is the source. We do the work of living by Jesus' rhythms by adopting his practices of way of life, and then we invite others to join us. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you care about the inner work of our lives. The scriptures say that you actually counsel us. So maybe we do need to see a counselor, but you are the ultimate counselor. So show us. Give us some clarity of mind. What are the areas of life that are not serving us in a way that leads us closer to you? Some of this might be so new for some people here, and my prayer is that you would be inspired to take your next step with Jesus. Maybe you don't know him at all, and what what an amazing opportunity to be prayed for. God, we thank you. We thank you for your saving grace, that even as we stumble forward and we get it wrong, that There's grace upon grace. There's just more grace. Let's just bless everyone here today. Speak tenderly to them, not words of condemnation, but encouragement as you draw them closer to you. Amen.